Lord Jesus was a master teacher. He used many methods to help people understand spiritual truth and introduce them to the kingdom of God. Our passage today reflects one of those methods called a parable. Jesus would often take a snapshot of life familiar to his audience and use it as a window to enlighten them. In the words of Warren Wearsby, a parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interest. But as we study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. If we continue to look by faith, the mirror becomes a window through which we see God and his truth. How we respond to that truth will will determine what further truth God will teach us. The parable before us today is called the parable of the sower, but actually the emphasis is really on the seed and how it is received by the soul, uh, soil. That which is sown is either helped or hindered by the type of soil on which it falls. So what does all this represent? Well, we're told here that the seed is the word, the gospel of the kingdom, the word of Christ, the word of God. And the different soils represent the hearts of people and how they respond to that seed as it's sown. The growth of a seed is unsuccessful in three types of soil. And in comparison, uh, good soil, receptive soil, produces a successful crop. Now the emphasis is on how you receive the seed and, uh, uh, or the word of Christ. And note how Jesus stresses hearing what he has to say in this whole chapter that's really dealing with a few parables. <clears throat> if you look back in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, listen. He closes that out in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then if you will, in verse 12, um, <clears throat> Uh, He speaks about hearing that they may hear and not understand. Then in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, take heed to what you hear. And then verse 33, um, he spoke the, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. So over and over again, we have the admonition to hear, to listen, to respond, because it determines your eternal destiny and your spiritual growth in Christ. And I believe that one of the reasons our nation is in such a deplorable condition today is that there is a famine in our churches and in our families of hearing, of listening to the word of God. It really wouldn't surprise me if there were people in our congregation and many other Bible-believing churches who will go home today, they'll lay their Bible down on the shelf, and then they'll pick it up again next Sunday morning as they come to church. It's no wonder we talk so little about spiritual things. Little growth uh, is produced in our life, and there are little growth in our churches. It all has to do with our attitude to the living Word of God. 
So as we come before the Lord's table today, let's seriously consider how we hear, how we respond to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we pray today, once again, that you will convict our hearts about our attitude toward your word. We know it's through the word we learn about you. We learn the truth of salvation and how that we cannot in any way save ourselves. But Lord, it's also the truth that helps us to grow in Christ, to mature and to obey and do all the things that the Bible commands us. So again, Lord, help us to be reminded that we need to be receptive soil each and every day to what you have to teach us. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this model parable is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. And Mark has uh, so far emphasized the authoritative teachings of Jesus, but this is actually the first place where he gives us any recording of it. Now, the parable falls into three sections. You probably could figure this out. But in the first three, uh, 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 verses three through nine, Jesus introduces us to the sowing of the seed and its results. He begins and he ends with this challenge to listen closely to what he has to say. But there are some who do not comprehend. They stay behind. They want to find out more about this. So Jesus explains his method of teaching. And then finally, he goes through the parable again. He tells them what it means. And that from that point, they should make application of it. So as we look at these things, we should be asking ourselves, what type of soil am I? How do I respond to God's word? All right, the first few verses here, we have the presentation of the parable, and it gives us a setting in verses 1 and 2. Once again, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus has gathered. There are multitudes of people there. Matthew seems to indicate that this was actually on the same day as the previous scene that we looked at last week, where Jesus was accused of being empowered by Satan. So it must have been a very busy day for him. Now, once again, uh, they go to the seashore where large groups of people can be accommodated. Again, there are so many people there. Jesus steps into that boat laying to the side, pushes out from the shore so the people can face him and they can hear easily what he has to say. So this is kind of his pulpit on this day. Now, his method of teaching begins to be by parables. Now, Mark only uses four examples of parables in this chapter. Matthew lists many more. And of course, Jesus was very likely to repeat these parables on many occasions during his ministry. This particular parable is uh, uh, interesting, probably one of the most well-known to us. So let's take a look here at what Jesus is teaching. And again, he begins with that word, listen. That's actually a command. The Lord commands us to listen to his word when it's being preached. Every time you open the Bible, you ought to be listening to what it has to say to you. Every time you go to your Sunday school class, every time you hear the pastor preach, or whatever other ways and means that you hear the word of God, you ought to be having the attitude of listening to what it has to say. 
And we all know that we can hear something somebody says and not pay any attention to it. For instance, how many times has your wife complained that you heard what she said, but you weren't listening because you didn't get it? I know that comes to me a lot of times. How many times do you daydream in school and miss part of the lesson? We're all guilty uh, at times of hearing without really listening. Now, the most important thing we can listen to, of course, is the word of God. Then Jesus introduces a very familiar picture to the people of that day and to our day as well, although, of course, we're living in much more modern times uh, where we don't sow seed in this way anymore. So we have a picture of a farmer, the seed that's being sown, and the type of soil that that seed is going into. So the farmer goes out to his field. He's going to uh, plant some seed. He's going to carry the grain in an apron or a satchel as he goes out there. And then he's going to just cast it here and there all over his field as much grain as he has. Of course, we're, we're kind of glad we don't do it that way nowadays. We certainly wouldn't have uh, huge crops that we have today. But that's the way they did it back then. Uh, we might do our chickens and our pigs that way, but certainly not acres and acres of land. Now, the farmer, after he uh, cast the seed, would then go over it with a crude wooden uh, plow pulled by an ox or a donkey. And that's how he would work it into the ground. But in this field, there are different types of soil. Some of the seeds were told in verse 4, fall by by the wayside. Now that refers to the the pathway that led uh, from the village out into the fields, and it would would cross through most of the fields so the farmer could get to where he's working. So that ground would be hard, it would be compacted, Uh, the animals going over it, the farmer going over it, maybe a cart or something of that nature. And so as the the grain goes on that field, even the plow can't scrape it in. And the birds of the air, it's easy pickings. They come down, they swoop it up, and they eat it. And so that ground is unreceptive to the seed. In verses 5 and 6, other uh, seed falls on stony ground. Now, I know what uh, the farmers are thinking. Well, he must have been planting in New York State, right? Because uh, every, every year we're, we're seeing rocks. They just seem to produce themselves. Someone once told me that they, uh, the only thing they thought soil around here produced consistently was rocks. But this isn't talking about rocks that we go out and pick out of our field. This means a bedrock. So it's something that lies underneath the surface of the ground, just a few inches under uh, the topsoil. So the seed is able to germinate originally, but as soon as the hot sun begins pouring down on it day after day, uh, it develops a little bit of a root system, but then it just kind of shrivels up and it dies. The roots cannot penetrate deeply enough for the plant to survive. Then in the next verse, verse 7, some seed falls among thorns. And uh, the thorns in Israel were a a nasty variety. And like most weeds, they just kind of pop up very quickly. So the plow may have originally cut them down, 
but they grew back more rapidly than the seed that was planted. And so they're choking off the seed's nutrients from the ground and the light from the sun. And so no grain is produced. Finally, there's a lot of good ground, however, in that field. And when the farmer plants that seed, there's nothing to hinder its production, its growth. And so it produces a good crop. In some areas, 30-fold, some 60, some 100. And 100-fold, that would have been an extremely abundant crop. Now, Jesus closes in verse 9 with another admonition. You need to listen to what I have to say If you have ears, open them up and hear what I'm saying. And he repeats that very often in his teaching ministry. All right, so the problem is, though, it seems that nobody is really getting this. Nobody's understanding what he's talking about. You know, what's the application here? So Jesus, in the next couple of verses, explains his method and its purpose, and uh, we, we need to take a look at that for a moment. Now, in verse 10, uh, when he was alone, so this is probably later in the evening, the crowds have gone back home, things are dying down, and it says those around him with the 12 asked him about this parable. So he selected the 12 disciples who are with him all the time now, but there is another group that is with them that stayed behind because they want to know what this parable means. They're opening their ears. They're listening. They want to understand what Jesus has to say, and they ask about the parable. Uh, the majority of the people are are going home, maybe they're shaking their heads, wondering what Jesus was talking about. But these few stuck around to find out. Luke tells us that his disciples asked him what the parable meant. Matthew records that they asked him why he taught the parables or in parables. So Jesus sets out to explain both his method Uh, and what the parable itself means. Now, in verse 11, uh, Jesus addresses them. He's answering these questions that are coming up. To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So these are the people that are his followers, the ones he selected, and others who are disciples, but they're not in that inner group of disciples. And it says to them, you have been given uh, the, the privilege to know the mystery of the kingdom. So these are seekers. These are people who want to understand the teaching of Jesus. And they have received the gift of understanding this mystery of the kingdom, which is coming in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the term mystery there is not what we think of it today. Um, You might like to read mystery novels or watch mystery movies where there's some kind of an issue or a problem and you're trying to figure out what it is and by your studying uh, and and, uh, seeking facts and things of that nature, the mystery is divulged and it no longer is a mystery. Well, 
when Jesus speaks of the mystery of the kingdom, it's not something you can figure out. It's something that God has to give to you. He has to give you the understanding of it. You don't have the capacity to unravel it yourself. So it's more the idea of a secret, something that has not been uh, divulged in the past. In the Old Testament, the gospel was a mystery because they hadn't received God's progressive revelation about it yet. There were hints about it. There were things we can go back and see now, but they were really kind of closed off to the Old Testament people. And now in the coming of Christ, the secret is being let out. He's teaching people that the gospel is now present, that uh, although he is not gone the the distance of dying and being raised again from the dead yet it's all unfolding right before them and now they have the privilege of being able to understand these things receive them into their self all right now those outside however those who perhaps left and didn't want to worry about what jesus had to say the scribes and the Pharisees who are just uh, against everything he's doing, those outside, well, I'm going to be teaching them in parables. And the purpose is so that those who are really listening can understand, but those who are rejecting, well, they're going to get to the point where they can't understand, and that's going to be a permanent case. He's quoting here from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, and, and this is the methodology, the purpose of the parables. So that seeing, they may see and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand. Why? Because they've rejected it. They don't want to listen to it. So there comes a point where people make a decision to reject Christ and not listen to him that's going to be a a, a place where they can never get out of. Lest they should turn and they should uh, have their sins forgiven them. So uh, it's a terrible thing to come to the point where God will not allow you to understand the truth of the gospel because you've rejected it for so long. You're so persistent in that. Being indifferent or hostile to the word of God puts you in a place where you're in great danger of eternal condemnation. Those who are open to the truth, well, they're given the ability to understand the truth, and so more truth can be revealed to them, and they can grow and uh, become what God wants them to be. Now, that leads us to the last section, which is the explanation of the parable in verses 13 through 20. And the Lord again begins with a, uh, a, a mild rebuke, I guess, an uh, admonition to his disciples in verse 13. Now he said to them, do you not understand this parable? This is probably one of the most simple ones to understand, And if you can't understand this one, how are you going to understand all the other parables that I am going to be teaching by? So again, it's the idea here. You've got to really think about it. Uh, You've got to perceive it. But God, the Lord, of course, is going to help you to do this when you ask him to. 
So we do know that as time proceeded, the disciples were kind of dense about some things, and many things they didn't really fully grasp until after Christ was raised from the dead. So we can't be too harsh on them, and Jesus isn't either because he goes on to explain to them what this parable is talking about, what it means. So he tells us very plainly, verse 14, the sower sows the word. Now we don't know who the sower is. He's not named. In this case, uh, the sower would be Jesus. Uh, In other cases, it could be anybody that's teaching or preaching the word of God. They're sowing the seed. Actually, it could be the Bible itself. As you're sitting down and reading it, the Bible is the seed. So, uh, or the sower, rather, and the seed as well. Uh, So, uh, whoever is casting out that seed, that person is someone that ought to be listened to. Um, uh, Luke says that this is the word of God. Matthew says it's the word of the kingdom. Mark just says it's the word. So we take it all together. It's the words of the kingdom, the gospel, the Lord Jesus, the word of God. So that's what's being sown here. And it's clear uh, that that's what it is. The soil now represents the way the word, the gospel, is received in the heart of those who hear it. So let's go through here and uh, see what the Lord explains. First of all, in verse uh, 14 or 15, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. Okay, the wayside, that pathway that's beaten down and hard. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to someone. He hears the word of God, but it's received in a callous way. In other words, the heart is hard. The heart is callous. It falls upon a heart where it cannot penetrate. It can't get into. This person then is resistant to the word of God. He is a, he's resistant to the word. Uh, she pays no attention to the word. Satan then can come along and just pluck it away because it has no effect upon the life. And of course, we, uh, we understand what that means. But the application here is, is more likely to, to lost people. Those who are outside the kingdom of God. Luke adds, lest they hear and be saved. So a person may hear the gospel, they may hear it more than one time, but it falls on deaf ears. They resist it. They are callous to it. They pay no attention to it. They're ignorant of it. They don't want to hear it. So these people are kind of like the scribes and the Pharisees of Christ's day. I remember years ago in a previous ministry that we held a youth rally through neighborhood Bible time. And uh, each, each night we would bring teens into the church and have some games and things of that nature, and then there would be preaching. And one night, uh, a young man uh, went for counseling, but he just wouldn't receive the Lord Jesus. So a worker brought him to me, and we were, we were standing uh, at the, the, the steps leading up into the church building, and I can see him this day grasping a hold of the railing, just as tight as he could. His knuckles are white. He's kind of going back and forth like this. You could tell he's under conviction, but he would not give his heart 
to the Lord Jesus, and I don't believe he ever came back from uh, that night. So you're resisting the word of God. And there might be somebody here today that's resisting the word of God. You don't give the Lord a chance to speak to you through his word. You're resisting the gospel that God wants you to know. But we might think, can this apply to Christians today? Can this be true of a believer? Well, uh, possibly, not in the sense of, of not receiving initially the gospel, but can we not sometimes be hard-hearted to what it teaches us or not pay any attention to it? It would apply to not paying attention to what the Word of God is saying to us right now. You could be daydreaming. You could be thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon or, or this coming week. Maybe a young person, instead of listening to the uh, preaching of God's word, reads a Sunday school paper instead or whispers to a friend or perhaps they, they pass notes back and forth. Is that not resisting the preaching of the word of God? Is that not ignoring it, not hearing what God wants you to say? So you're not considering it. So in a sense, it's not penetrating your heart. So the devil takes it away. You don't even know what the pastor preached the last week. So in that sense, it might apply even to those of us who know the Lord Jesus. Then he goes on to the next uh, type of soil, uh, the bedrock, verses 16 and 17. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So here we say that the, the, the ground represents regression as opposed to progression. When this person hears the word initially, there is an immediate response. There's one of joy. They initially seem to receive it, and there appears to be some growth. But there's no root downward that develops so that the fruit can be produced upward, and they don't endure. They don't keep on keeping on. They only last for a while. And Jesus mentions here a time of tribulation or affliction, or hardship, a time of persecution arises for the word's sake. In a sense, testing that word, testing if it really was received, testing if it really penetrated the life or not. So instead of persevering when those hardships come, they stumble or they fall away that indicates that spiritual life was never truly in them. Luke actually uses the word that is translated uh, in other places to apostatize. Now we know the Bible teaches that everyone who receives the Lord Jesus as their Savior, is going to be tested over time. He'll test your faith. He'll want you to grow in it. So he's going to give you some experiences in life that are hard, that are um, an affliction to you. You're going to be persecuted if you're really living for the Lord. So God's purpose in sending those times is not to have you fall away from the faith, but to grow in it and uh, become more dependent upon him. But some 
actually fall away from the faith, showing that their profession was shallow, and uh, they go off back into the life they once had. I've known a few people like this in ministry. Again, many, many years ago, even before I went into the ministry, I remember in the church we were attending, there was a fellow who made a profession of faith. It was really kind of a somewhat of a sensational type thing. And unfortunately, the, the pastor made a really big deal about it. And he called this fellow up on the stage to, to give testimony. He talked about him all the time. Uh, and and uh, it just really made too much of that profession. And after a very short period of time, less than a couple of months, I think, that man is no longer seen. He disappeared. He didn't come back to church. So did he really get saved or not? And Jesus, of course, used an example of this in other teaching, like a pig that returns to the wallow and a, and a dog that returns to his vomit. They go back to the old way because nothing happened that really changes their life. So the Lord's going to test our faith to see if it's genuine, to see if it's real. Hard times separate a professor from a possessor. Those who come to Christ are going to persevere in the faith. Now, we have another kind of uh, soil here in verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Now, again, all of them hear the word, and they have different responses to it. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. All right, we might say that this soil represents restriction of the word. The thorns of life choke off the word and restrict its growth. And the result is there's no produce, there's no fruit that comes from that. The seed never matures to fullness, it never fulfills its purpose. And we can see how that would apply to the things of this world, uh, keeping somebody from getting saved in the first place. Uh, the word is choked off and they never really even receive it because of these other things that take up their time. We also can see how that would apply to somebody who's saved and they're so interested in everything else that they have no spiritual growth going on in their life. So what restricts the growth of the seed? The Lord Jesus mentions three things. First of all, the cares and the concerns of this world. Well, there are many things in life that produce worry and anxiety, like raising a family, working a job, paying the bills, taking care of worldly endeavors. There, these are things that we um, are expected to do. And though these things uh, are, are legitimate, they can choke off the more important things of life that are spiritual in nature. Do they prevent you from having time with the Lord? Do they prevent you from uh, being with him in his word? Then there's the deceitfulness of riches, which we may easily be uh, deceived into believing that money can solve all of our problems. This is the way to freedom. 
This is the way to self-sufficiency. This is the way to have no worries in life. The pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of prosperity, productivity also chokes off time with the Lord or even the consideration of spiritual things. We're just caught up in what we think is going to bless us and it really can't. I read a good bit of financial material and it's amazing how much people in that that business of finance will promise how you can become rich. Some of it's good information, but most of it's just a big scam. And if you give your money to that professional or whatever, they say they can help you get rich, but they're just getting rich off of saying they can make you rich. It's all based on a false hope of security And if you're not careful, it can choke off your spiritual interests. And then Jesus just says a desire for other things. Anything else that might restrict your walk with God. So how busy are we in the other things? How much time do you spend hearing God's word compared to all the other things that you do? Now I realize we can't sit down for hours a day, especially if we're working, to be in the Word of God. But how much time do we spend hearing God's Word other than Sunday? Five minutes, ten minutes, no minutes? And yet this is what produces fruit in in our life. This is how we are supposed to grow. This is how we're supposed to develop. This is how we mature in the Spirit. How can we produce any spiritual fruit if all these other things are are taking away any time we have in it. Now putting all these three things together, one commentator wrapped it all up with these words. Each of the three fruitless hearts is influenced by a different enemy. The hard heart, the devil himself snatches away the seed. The shallow heart, the flesh counterfeits religious feelings. And the crowded heart, the things of the world, smother the growth and prevent a harvest. These are the three great enemies of the soul. The the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, finally we come to the good soil in verse 20. And this is soil marked by retention of the word of God. We hear it, we accept it, and it causes us to bear fruit in the life 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So this person listens to the word of God, they ponder it, they receive it every time they hear it from their reading, from teaching they receive, from preaching they hear. They're given to know the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom. They receive the gospel by believing the Lord Jesus as their savior. He's the son of God who came into the world to die and raise himself from the dead for my sake. So their hearts are not hard. The root of God grows down deep and it produces life. So the seed, the word, can produce a harvest, can produce fruit in their life. And it's interesting, it's only this verse where the verbs are present tense. So that indicates they keep on hearing, they keep on accepting, they keep on bearing fruit. 
so as a continuity in their life. Now, the size of the harvest here doesn't probably depend so much on the soil, but the intention of God for it. And so I think it depends on the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God gives to his people, how much they are going to produce. And as they use what he gives them, he'll bless them with varying degrees of growth. I think we all understand that. Uh, We aren't all exactly the same. There's not equity in the church of God in that way. So the question this morning is this. How have you responded to the word of God today? Have you listened to it or hardened your heart? If you've listened to it, what are you going to do about it? Let me again read from a commentator. Words may be sound and lively enough, but it is up to each hearer to let them sink in and become fruitful. If he only hears without responding, without doing something about it and committing himself to their meaning then the words are in danger of being lost or never coming to anything. The whole story thus becomes a parable about the learner's responsibility and about the importance of learning with one's whole will and obedience and not merely with one's head. So as we close today, ponder some questions. How much time do I spend hearing God's word? Not just Sunday morning, but every day. Am I letting things in my life choke off the word of God, preventing my spiritual growth? Am I seeking satisfaction or sufficiency in anything other than God's word and my relationship with him? Is that something that's really a most important part of my life? Then how is God's word producing fruit in my life? Can you name any fruit that's being produced in your life? So this week, take time to consider these things and be a true listener of God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning your blessing upon your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given it to us abundantly. We'll never know all that it teaches us. But Lord, help us to be students of the word. Help us to hear it and put it into practice. Help us, Lord, today to consider what kind of a soil our heart is, that it might be the best kind, that here's what you have to say, accepts it, and grows from it. And as we come before your table, we're thankful, Lord, that that Jesus has provided the way that we uh, can receive the mystery of the kingdom each and every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.